With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. All right, time for another Health Hacks. It's Monday morning here at Reality Check Radio. Dr. Glenn Davies from Reversal NZ is back with us. Hi, Glenn. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you, Paul. Um, I think we had a, a lot of interest uh, from the uh, one we did on statins. Uh, a lot of um, lot of texts and emails have been coming through on that. Yeah, I saw that. And one thing that interested me was there seemed to be quite an awareness of, I mean, obviously the people are interested in what you're saying, but already, already there seemed to be an awareness that that um, of what we were were talking about, or you mainly were talking about. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and people were talking about some pretty serious stuff that they had experienced yeah. while on the statin that had resolved when they stopped it, um, like um, depression, memory problems, suicidal thoughts, um, even dementia symptoms. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Maybe worth another chat sometime. Inbox at realitycheck.radio or 2057 if you want to get in touch. Okay, so we're into sleep. Now, this really interests me because I'll tell you why, on a few fronts. The longest I've been up is four days, okay, without sleep. So I know what that's like. I've done work where, where I've basically existed on a, a, over a few weeks on just power naps of half an hour to keep going. And I'm a very early starter now and have long days and get kips, you know, through the day. So sleep's quite relevant. And I often wonder if I'm, you know, if I'm doing it right or I'm missing out on something. So where, so I'm curious, where do we start on sleep? Do we, do we define what it actually is? Yeah. Well, actually, before we do that, um, I'm, I'm, that's actually quite serious what you're talking about, because there's an article that said that middle-aged men, I, I guess that includes young men like yourself, Paul. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But this is about middle-aged men who sleep for five hours or less per night have twice the risk of major cardiovascular events right. compared with men who sleep for seven to eight hours. So, you know, I, I'm I'm sure that that was necessary with the work that you were doing. But Well, that, um, was, that was 15, 20 years ago, that, what I'm describing there. Yeah, but uh, but there are serious health consequences related to sleep deprivation. That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try and eke out six. Usually, I get about six, six and a half. To be fair, yeah, but that that's actually being asleep, right? I mean, you can be in bed, but you're not asleep and you're relaxed. That doesn't count. I take it. Yeah, well, there, there's complexity in that, and we might um, we might get into that question a little bit later, Paul, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. Seven, seven to eight hours seems to be what is considered sort of normal average. So you're a bit below average, I think. Yeah. Oh, just, just only in your sleep, Paul. Nothing else. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> though I've heard that uh, the older you get, the the less duration you tend to spend sleeping. So 
I don't know if that yeah, that's that's true. And and also there's some some very famous and effective people who've had four hours sleep per night. I think um, Margaret Thatcher and Winston Churchill were both in that uh, yeah. in that group. Well, he drank whiskey though in the morning when he got up. So Did he? <laughs> maybe that offset that. <laughs> and he had a lot of stress. <laughs> sure, you must. I just imagine what you must have to read to be the president or prime minister of a country. You must have to be over a lot of stuff. I'd get people to tell me. I wouldn't bother doing the reading. Yeah, well, it's not but, not that dissimilar from your job, really. In fairness, Paul, having to be over a, a lot of issues. Yeah, but again, I just read. I, I read them. But um, but what is sleep? Because that's a really interesting question. Lying down, relaxing, even sort of dozing, that's not really sleep, is it? No, it's not. And we, we could actually start by talking about sleep architecture, ah, which, now is, that's where we want which to go. is interesting. Yeah. So there's non-REM sleep and REM sleep. REM stands for rapid eye movement. Uh, I, so periods of time when you're asleep, the eyes are flickering behind the eyelids. That's REM sleep. The non-REM sleep is more of the deep restorative sleep. So stage one, two, three, and four of non-REM sleep. And the stage three and four is the deep restorative sleep. When you do an EEG, so um, the little um, electrodes on the brain and you measure people's brain waves while they're asleep, that delta wave sleep, which is the deeper sleep, and interestingly similar to meditation, um, is when you get the most um, restorative sleep. You get more of that uh, deep sleep in the first half of the night, and then you move more into the REM sleep, the rapid eye movement sleep, and you get a, a larger proportion of that REM sleep uh, in the morning. So it's a 90-minute cycle with more of the deep sleep in the first half and more of the REM sleep in the second half. And that's when you uh, dream during the REM sleep. And that's why you're more likely to remember your dreams in the morning than you are in the first part ah. of the night, simply because of the way that sleep architecture occurs. Do, do we know why it's in that order? I guess because the important part is that um, most restorative um, stage three, four non-REM sleep, and I guess if you're going to get woken up, you've concentrated most of that. And then the dreaming... Um, I, I'm not sure if we fully understand why we dream, but I've heard people talking about it being cementing memories and clarifying processes that have occurred during the day. Um, maybe that's considered less important than the brain restoration that happens during that delta wave sleep. I interviewed a physicist, Tom Campbell, um, early on here at uh, RCR, and he is um, he's written a, a trilogy called My Big Toe, My Theory of Everything. And he talks about consciousness being the reality and uh, sort of the information system that we kind of exist in and created us. And his view on sleep is that it is, it's another reality, um, mm -hmm. but it's, uh, it, it's, there is no, there are no physics to it. There are no physical laws to it. So the, the what can happen in it, it's it kind of bizarre. Anything can sort of happen in that world because you're not bound by any physical laws mm -hmm. or reality and that uh, he thinks of it not so much as as what you just uh, described as sort of consolidating packing down thoughts and ordering thoughts and 
putting things into context subconsciously, but actually in another reality. So the people that you meet in dreams or, or, or the characters that are in there mm-hmm. are actually kind of real entities, but they're in another reality space, if you know what I mean. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it was just interesting to hear it oh, um, described in that way. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. Why you don't remember it so much is a good question. Um, because you don't, right? The, the, the some some memories from dreams are seen as profound. You can remember it for years, but other stuff is it's mostly just mush when you wake up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I, I certainly wouldn't uh, pretend to be a dream expert, but it's certainly interesting. It, it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Anyway, who knows? So, um, in the restorative, restorative, I know what that word means. That's the all the elves working away through the whole maintenance log right on your body is is that what's going on yeah and i think particularly in the brain so we know that when you sleep the uh, lymphatic system of the brain uh, actually washes a lot of toxins and proteins out of the brain so there is a a cleaning process that's happening a, a restoration process that's happening i suspect we know one percent of of the detail, but I certainly know that happens. It's called the lymphatic system, so it's the brain's lymphatic system. And those channels, I think, I've read increase four times in volume during sleep. So definitely, you're washing and cleaning your brain during sleep. And it it does seem to be, apart from the odd twitch and rolling and stuff, that you're basically offline physically, aren't you? Yeah. Yep, you are. Although the um, that REM sleep is a is a lighter sleep than uh, than your your deep restorative sleep. So yeah, you're more likely to get woken up during those times than when you're deeply asleep. Okay, so um, then the REM. I, I wonder why why would the eyes flicker? Do, does any has anyone worked that out? What that is doing there? I don't know, but. Um, when I get off this call, I'm going to have a look at that. That's a that's a really interesting question. It's like a workout for the eye socket or something. <laughs> I don't know. It could be. Yeah. Okay. All right. So definition. You asked me what is the definition of um, of of sleep. So of insomnia. So insomnia is either difficulty falling asleep, difficulty staying asleep or experiencing non-restorative sleep. Uh, and it's particularly concerning if that lasts for three months. So I, I guess you would reach the definition of chronic insomnia if you had one of those three problems lasting for three months. And then I, I looked at how common is it, and I found a New Zealand study which which really blew me away with the statistics. It said that one quarter of New Zealand adults suffer from chronic sleep problems you know so even though this is an interesting topic and we'll discuss probably some of the interesting variations of it it's actually a major problem and with a quarter of new zealand adults being affected that's very common so what would drive that yeah well we'll we'll get on to that Hmm. so before I before I answer that, uh, just let's talk about some of the consequences of insomnia, because 
I think we tend to joke a little bit about poor sleep, but I think mm. we probably, when you look at, at these consequences, we probably need to be taking it more seriously. So I'll just run through a few of these quickly, but it can affect cognition, which is your ability to think. So it can affect your memory and your decision-making. It can affect your mood and is associated with depression and anxiety. It can weaken your immune system. And I just um, allude, alluded to it recently, it can cause cardiovascular disease, so heart attacks and high blood pressure. It can contribute to type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance, can cause weight gain, can increase your pain sensitivity, can decrease motor skills. And I was reading that somebody who's chronically sleep deprived is about as poor at driving a motor vehicle as somebody who's drunk. Oh, wow. Yeah. Quality yeah. of life um, can affect relationships and work performance and overall well overall well-being um, and can cause daytime fatigue and sleepiness, obviously. So, you know, some pretty significant consequences, something worth taking seriously. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, quite a few in there. All right. Yeah. So... The first thing to look at in terms of fixing the problem is sleep hygiene. Oh. I, I don't know who chose that word. I, I think we could do better with the definition, but yeah. sleep hygiene. So first of all, what should you not do? So don't eat a heavy meal just before you go to bed. You know, we, we promote the idea of eating your evening meal earlier in the evening um, and trying to do that during daylight hours. Um, right. So no heavy meals close to bednight. And then blue light. This is a, a really big topic. So blue light is released from your telephone screen and your computer screen particularly. And people are on their phones right up until they close their eyes. That is not a good habit for sleep hygiene. Yeah. Okay, and of course you don't know you're you're, you're being hit with it, really. No, and you can um, you can turn the blue light off on your computer screen. I don't know how to do that. You oh. you're clever. You're cleverer than I am with. Computers. No, I don't know anything about that. You can do that, and you can buy um blue light blocking glasses. But I would suggest um, why are we on our phones and computers right until we go to bed? Um, wouldn't reading a book be a better idea? <laughs> Do we Is that know old fashioned? That? Are you laughing at me? Did that sound completely old fashioned? <laughs> well, well, first of all, it's a good question because uh, I mean, most people. I used to read books, you know, in bed. I don't so much now because it's too easy to range through. And I would say listening options for me because I don't actually sit there watching stuff. But, but I'll put the the earpiece in and I'll listen to a talking book or. I listened yeah, to good. George Orwell's 1984 like that last year, you know, a bit a bit every night, but uh, not looking at the screen. But it's just it's convenience, Glenn. It's convenience. Mm -hmm. It's it's what's easy. Well, um, someone said to me that when they were suffering from insomnia, they play back my podcasts. <laughs> so <laughs> I I took it as a compliment, but uh, I'm not sure if it was intended. Like a cure not. for it. <laughs> I could think of maybe if people listen to the platform, they could also cure their insomnia, but that's just that's just me. Okay. Right. Um, now, alcohol and smoking. So alcohol is interesting because, 
you know, initially it's a stimulant and then it becomes a depressant. So I guess it's the timing of the drink. But nicotine is a um, stimulant. So for sure, smoking yeah, for sure. before bed is not a good idea. Smoking at all is a dumb idea. But before bed, and I guess now we've got vapes. You you were never allowed to smoke in bed. Do, do people vape in bed? Well, I <clears> I've now? I've smoked in bed before. Right. I know it's disgusting. But uh, you know, we used to smoke in the office too. And, yeah, that, and, and that was anyone. several decades ago. Um, in fairness, and we used to abuse people who told us not to, like tell them to go outside. That's completely changed. What What's worse? Any ideas on this? Actually, smoking cigarettes or vaping? I've done both. What do you think's worse? I think the cigarettes are worse. Right. But in relation to the topic that we're talking about. They're delivering similar amounts of nicotine. So, yeah, and that's the issue here. Yeah. Yeah, and that's going to interfere with sleep. Um, caffeine's an interesting topic, and we've discussed that before on Health Hacks. It depends whether you're a fast or a slow acetylator, whether you break it down quickly, whether you can have, you know, coffee right up to sort of 4 p.m., or whether you need to stop around midday. I'd go and, later than that, mate. <laughs> um it, you know, people will take about four hours to remove that caffeine from their system. So last coffee at a minimum of four hours before bed. Right. Okay. I'm probably doing uh, that. For most people, it'll be earlier than that. Um, avoid hard training uh, just before bed. So a, a gentle walk's a good idea. And then minimize the stress, um, which is easier said than done. Yeah. How do so, you do that? How do you do that? I'm going to talk uh, to you about the U.S. military method of um, of falling asleep, which is oh, okay. also a stress management uh, technique. So we'll we'll go on to that. Yep. But but we've talked about the what not to do. What about the good things to do? And it's um, going to bed at the same time and getting up at the same time every day, including the weekends. That's a very good piece of advice. And something that most people don't do. But going to bed at the same time and getting up at the same time, it sets your your diurnal rhythm, you know, and that's really important. Um, a walk in the evening is a good idea. A comfortable bed. And I've just experienced this. Um, we bought a new mattress, and it is extraordinary. It, it really is like the ads say. It's, you know, like being sleeping in a cloud, and I sleep so much better. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, then, that makes a difference. Yep. Does make it a cool, dark room, and they talk about being having your bedroom cooler, uh, or, or on the cool side. Um, so that's good. They talked about sixty-five degrees Fahrenheit. I, I don't know what that means in Celsius, but having a cooler room, um, having the same bedtime routine. And having a relaxing bath, and you could put Epsom salts in your bath if you wanted to do that. I can vouch for that one. Okay. Hmm. All right. So we move on to the causes of insomnia. Yeah. Stress and anxiety, racing thoughts. Depression can cause anxiety. Poor sleep hygiene. So we've just um, talked about um, poor sleep hygiene habits. But um, one thing is to avoid excessive napping during the day. And I think that's possibly more of an issue as people um, get past retirement age. There's quite a, some people can over nap and therefore not need the sleep at night. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, caffeine we talked about. And then um, the environmental factors and excessive noise and excessive light in the room. So it could be the neighbours that are being noisy or the flatmates perhaps, but um, you can certainly control the light and making your room really dark at night with blackout curtains is actually quite significant because that, that manages melatonin, which is a hormone we're going to talk about. Um, medical conditions and chronic pain particularly, and of course that can be hard to deal with. Um, some medications can cause insomnia. So we talked about caffeine, but um, prednisone, for example, that definitely causes insomnia. But interestingly, some antidepressants and blood pressure medicines also disrupt sleep. Okay. There's some um, specific neurological conditions which we might have time to talk about. Restless leg syndrome and periodic limb movement disorder. Oh, okay. That, that definitely interferes with sleep. Now, shift work and jet lag, but shift work, um, Paul, that's a young man or young woman's game. I, I think it becomes increasingly difficult as you get older. Yeah, I worked with a lot of people who, who did shift work over the years, and some of them quite, you know, up around 70, mid-70s, still going strong. And I've done a lot of it myself. And um, it depends on what what the timing of those shifts uh, is what I've noticed. Sometimes overnight can be easier than really early. Yeah, and I, I think if you are having to do shifts, it's ideal if you can stick to the same shift. I, I think right. what's really difficult is, you know, when people will do a morning shift, an afternoon shift, and then a night shift, then they rotate through those. You know, nursing's yeah, I was just thinking example of, nursing. of that. Yeah. yeah. And and that's what's most difficult. You know, if you always start at 4 a.m. and finish at, um, you know, 2 in the afternoon, you can adapt to that very easily. 8.30 in the evening, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, um, one thing I've noticed, uh, because, uh, again, I've um, the, the current pattern of, of what I do has, um, you know, sort of a defined start and finish sort of a ballpark, is the body learns when you actually don't need the alarm. Mm. after mm. a while and i noticed that you're waking up <clears throat> either right on the time or about a minute before never after but about just a, a little bit before so that's pretty cool and i think if you are waking up before your alarm um i i couldn't say this categorically but it would indicate to me that you're perhaps getting enough sleep for you okay otherwise i'd be snoring away i would expect so yeah I would expect so. Okay, uh, but the body, the body's good at keeping time. It is. Yeah. yeah, isn't it? Yeah, very, very good. Okay, so we're on to this US military method now, are we? Yeah, I'm going to talk about um, two methods for treating insomnia. The first one I think people will love. The second one people will absolutely hate. And virtually every time I've suggested it to people, they um, they say, give me the Zopiclone uh, sleeping tablets, doctor. But this this first one is lovely. This is the, the US military method. And uh, in their uh, information, they said they have a 96% success rate if people do this for six weeks and consistently implement it. So it's very, very simple. And, and it's that um, progressive relaxation that I think probably most of us have learnt. Uh, so what it is, you uh, 
relax your body in a comfortable position. You've taken care of all your sleep hygiene. You've got that same uh, nighttime routine. You relax your face and your jaw. You drop your shoulders and relax your arms. You relax your chest. I feel like a meditation teacher at the moment. I know it's the morning, no one's about to fall asleep at their office desk. You relax your chest and you breathe out. Now, interestingly, it's the breathing out that stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system. The breathing in stimulates your sympathetic. So when we're trying to relax, we want to stimulate the the parasympathetic. So we're emphasizing the breathing out. So we're focusing on the out breath. Then you relax... um, your arms, and then your abdomen, your thighs, your legs, all the way down to the toes. You create a relaxing um, pressure, I'm sorry, a relaxing picture in your mind. Uh, in the US military, they um, they are in a canoe on a very calm lake, uh, lying back and looking at the clear blue sky. Well, that's and the then- opposite to a battle scene. Yeah, I think so. I guess it could be any relaxing picture that works for you, but that's their one. And then it's uh, don't think now, don't think now, don't think now, to say that for 10 seconds, and uh, then to repeat that uh, routine until you fall asleep. So that's quite lovely, relaxing, consistent with everything we know about relaxing the physical body and relaxing the mind. And there's sort of a little um, sort of self-hypnosis in there with the don't think now, don't think now. So I reckon that's going to work. I've had that uh, that point six, um, the repetition of don't think. I've, I, I was aware of that. Um, and I think that's where the counting sheep thing comes from because um, what happens, I, I've had it explained, I've tried it myself, is and you literally don't, you shouldn't be thinking. You should only be concentrating on the repetitious task, nothing else. And I think that's what does it. it. It switches something off or creates it sort of like a disconnect from a certain sort of activity. It it does actually work. I've tried that before. Hmm. Yeah, and and the counting sheep. I guess you could add that that in there if you um, if you wanted to. As well, it's that repetition of 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 you know saying don't think. It's that concentrating on one thing only, and it's the numbers, right? So you're only thinking about the the next number. I think that was how it was explained to me. Anyway. Yeah, and these these methods do work. You have to be consistent with them. Um, you have to trust them, but they do work, you know, and and with a 96% um, success rate, there should only be 4% of the people that are asking their doctor for Zopiclone. And um, I wonder if because of the pressures of our time-restricted general practice consults, you know, do we go straight to the medication and not put enough time into teaching people these very, very simple methods? One thing I noticed, because I'm sounding like, ah, me, me, me. But one thing I noticed, um, back in the uh, early 2000s, I was doing a lot of work in the US, and I think I traveled there 21 times in a few years or something. So I was always going on that long flight, is the point. And it was hard to, you know, get some sleep on it until I finally relented and started popping a few sleeping pills. But one thing I noticed, I slept, but I actually felt more sort of sleepy at the destination than the experience with lack of sleep. Now, that's that's really fascinating, Paul, because I, I asked myself that question and I did a little bit of research on it. The problem with sleeping tablets is that they don't put you into that deep 
stage three or four sleep of the non-REM sleep where you're getting the delta wave sleep. So you are asleep, but you're not getting the deep restorative sleep. So I, I think that's the key problem with the Zopiclone. It deals with the frustration of not being able to sleep, but it doesn't create the sleep architecture that our brain needs to wash itself and remove the toxins and, and damaging proteins. So I think that's the key problem with the Zopiclone. Do people sleep too much? Yeah, I think you could sleep too much. Um, but if you're able to wake up without an alarm clock, um, presumably that's when you should wake up. Well, some people in the weekends, for example, will sleep in crazy length of time. You know? Yeah, yeah I, think, um, I think that idea of going to bed at the same time and getting up at the same time, whether it's a weekday or a weekend, um, perhaps with a little bit of discretion is, is a good idea. Okay. What are we on to next about sleep? Well, this is the second method that everyone hates, but this this is also really effective. So it's called the sleep restriction therapy. Uh, I first heard about this um, from research that came out of um, Auckland University. So the idea is for two weeks, you record how much time you're actually asleep for. So you can keep a sleep diary or apparently there's some sleep tracking apps, but you actually record an average over two weeks how long you've slept for. Let's say, for example, that's five and a half hours and five and a half hours is the minimum that they recommend restricting your sleep time for. So let's say it's five and a half hours and you have to get up at 7 a.m. You go to bed at 1.30 a.m. You stay awake until 1.30, even though you're terribly tired. You go to bed and you sleep for that five and a half hours, and you do that for about two weeks, and then you start dialing back the bedtime. So you'll go from 1.30 to 1.15, and you do that for a week, and then you go back to 1, and then you keep going back by 15 minutes uh, per week until you've achieved the desired amount of sleep, whether that's oh, okay. seven hours sleep. Now, people hate this because this is really hard. This takes a hell of a lot of discipline. There's nothing pleasant about it. But people I've spoken to who do it, they have corrected their chronic insomnia. You know, some of them have had chronic insomnia for many years. They have fixed it with this, this method. It works. It's just unpleasant and takes a lot of discipline. Mind you, if the results are there and you're over suffering, then it's probably not much of an effort really at all, I, I would imagine. Yeah, and it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And, and it's, the idea is there's no point lying in bed for eight hours and only getting five and a half hours sleep and spending the additional two and a half hours frustrated and angry. Yeah. You know, that's, that's no good. So this is like stay up, do something you're enjoying until 1.30, go to bed, hopefully fall straight asleep, and then get up at 7.00. You know, and it's an unpleasant method, but it works. And it wouldn't – so that, that was for two weeks before you start dialing back. So it's a month, kind of a month-long exercise in that sort of ballpark. That's not very long. Well, no, I think it could – if you're only dialing back <laughs> by 15 minutes per week. Oh, per week? Um, I was thinking per day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Per week. Okay. No, it's going to be longer. It's going to right. be longer yeah, than that. for longer, yeah, okay. But I think you're going to feel better, you know, each time. Well, you'd you notice it. Is. You'd notice the improvement. 
you'd notice the improvement. And also you're not lying in bed feeling angry and frustrated. They say that your bed should only be for two things. That's um, sleeping and intimacy. Everything else should happen outside of the bedroom, you know. So if if you can't sleep, the, the, the general advice is to try and fall asleep for 20 minutes. But if you can't, to get up, do something else, like um, get up, sit in the lounge, read a, a book, for 20 minutes and then go back to bed and try again, but not to associate your bed with frustration. I think that's all right. Yeah. Key yeah. to this point of it, you know, that piece of advice. Okay. Sleep restriction therapy. And, uh, and that's a homegrown thing, New Zealand thing, is it? Uh, it may or may not be, but I do. The first time I heard about it, it was the university right. of Auckland. Gotcha. Yeah. Now we're going to move on and talk about hormones and um, supplements that you could use uh, in addition to one of those two um, behavioral methods. So first one is melatonin. Um, probably most people have heard of melatonin. In the vast majority of the countries of the world, you buy it across the counter and it's dirt cheap. That's not the case in New Zealand. It's a prescription medicine here. But um, what it does, cortisol and melatonin are sort of on a seesaw. You should have high cortisol levels during the day and no melatonin during the day. And then as you get close to nighttime, the melatonin levels increase and the cortisol goes away. And at nighttime, you should have no cortisol. That's the stress hormone. But I think for a lot of people, they sort of, um, you know, when, when you used to be a kid and you, you had two people on the seesaw, you both had your feet on the ground at the same time and it didn't move. I yep. think that's what's happening with cortisol and melatonin. So people are stressed during the night and they're not sleeping because the melatonin doesn't rise, you can sort of force the cortisol down by pushing the melatonin up by taking it as a capsule. It comes as a two or a three milligram capsule. The two milligram one is slow release. You take that two hours before bed. The fast acting three milligram one you take at bedtime. I recommend the fast acting one if you're having trouble going to sleep and the slow acting one if you're having difficulty staying asleep. So that's melatonin. Um, valerian root a herbal medicine that works. Uh, lavender, um, you can put that on your pillowcase as aromatherapy. That helps. Oh, okay. Um, two amino acids, L-theanine and 5-HTP uh, are both amino acid compounds. They're in most of the sleep you know, um, products that you buy from the health food shop. They, they both work. But magnesium is sort of the giant of the... Um, the sleep supplement industry. I can tell you that works. I can tell you that yep. works. Hmm. It definitely works, and it, it helps calm things down. Um, it's also involved in the manufacture of melatonin, so kind of makes sense that it works. Um, and then, interesting one, um, CBD oil. So, um, you know, a lot of people in the past have used cannabis to help with sleep, but interestingly, um, the CBD component which is um, which is cannabis without the THC um, has a sleep inducing effect. Yeah, I can so, tell you from from previous experience that um, that um, cannabis with the psychoactive in it limits dreaming. Interesting. So if you yeah. stop, your dreams explode. So I wonder if that's affecting the sleep architecture by the sun. Could be. A lot of people will be listening right now and going yeah yeah that's right yeah yeah <laughs> it does yeah and if you stop for a while um 
the, the dream sort of like that they, they sort of explode back it's interesting i wonder if the body needs to catch up on that REM sleep it's like a backup of data yeah interesting Okay, and then very quickly, just whizzing through the medicines, and and as we say often on the Health Hack Show, uh, you know there is there is a place for for medicines. I just think not as uh, big as as current, but Zopiclone's the commonest uh, sleeping tablet. Um, Phenagin is um, an old antihistamine that helps with sleep. Um, amitriptyline uh, sometimes is used in quetiapine. They're all medicines that that do have a role um, in in there. So um, I just wanted, if if there's enough time, Paul, just to talk about some other interesting hormones that are involved in sleep. Have go we for got it, Glenn. time for that? Yeah, yep, go cool. for it. So serotonin, the happiness hormone. Um, it's actually a precursor of melatonin. So that explains why people with depression may sleep um, poorly. And 5-HTP that we've just mentioned is also a precursor of serotonin. So that all kind of fits together. Um, adenosine. Now, adenosine's um interesting. So have you had that experience where you're lying on the couch, perhaps watching uh, Netflix in the evening and you start to doze off? That's adenosine. Adenosine comes in this burst. Now, it's a good idea when you feel that to get up and go to bed because if you sort of doze through that and come out the other side, the adenosine stops being produced and you sort of missed one of the important um, signals right, okay. for going to sleep. So adenosine. And interestingly, caffeine blocks the adenosine receptor. So one of the ways that caffeine is working is blocking the daytime sleepiness caused by adenosine. So, so main message there is um, don't miss out on that um, that opportunity to fall asleep. The one I really want to talk about, I found this fascinating. Um, so oxytocin, it's referred to as the love hormone. It's yep. um, it's released when you cuddle a puppy or cuddle a newborn baby or have a hug um, from your partner or your friend. Or, and it's also released during massage. So that that touch produces um, oxytocin and that helps with sleep. So, you know, a cuddle before bed. Um, or, Just a cuddle. Um, or a massage. I'm not getting drawn into this, Paul. Um, that, um, those things um, release oxytocin and right. um, and that's really helpful, um, helpful with sleep. So... Hopefully, through this discussion, there's been quite a lot of tips, and and hopefully the people listening will go, oh, I could add that, I could consider that, I'm having a coffee too late, um, maybe I'm eating too late, maybe my room's not dark enough, perhaps I should put some earplugs in because my room's not quiet because the neighbours are noisy, you know, um, maybe a massage before bed, uh, maybe I'm missing that um, adenosine um, stimulation. Cuddle a puppy. Cuddle a puppy, yeah. Um, you know, maybe some melatonin might be useful. Um, you know, perhaps I could think about some of these, some of the magnesium. You know, there's a lot of stuff in here before people resort to Zopiclone. You know, hopefully that US method, um, you know, if that's 96% yep. effective, and and if you get desperate, the the sleep restriction method. So I hope there's a lot of stuff in here. And I 
I hope people take it seriously if they do have insomnia because there are negative health consequences of ignoring it. And just the mechanism of sleep, because it's not just us that sleep, right? Virtually so many living things do sleep, don't they? I suspect everything does. Yeah. Is there an exception to that rule? I'm, I'm not sure. I suspect everything does. I did read that our microbiome sleeps when we sleep as oh, well. Oh, okay. So, as well, yeah. So I think bacteria do as well. Well, I think um, some of the sea mammals um, can switch off half the brain, half of it sleeps while the other sort of keeps the, uh, the, the, the basic operation going. But, you know, evolution could have just thrown up life forms that don't need sleep. So... But that hasn't happened. It's interesting. You know, birds can do the same thing because, you know, that bird on a wire thing, the bird on each end um, keeps one side of its brain awake so it's it's on guard duty and still sleeping at the same time. Wow. Yeah. But, yeah. But they do opposite sides of the brain depending on which end of the, um, of the flock they're on. So that's interesting. Mm. We didn't even get on to the most interesting topics like um, sleep walking, sleep talking, sleep sex, sleep driving, sleep eating. We we forgot about all that. We might have to save that for another talk. All right. That was a great health hacks. Glenn Davies from AversalNZ.co.nz. Thank you, Glenn. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio. Loving what you're hearing? Well, the establishment hates it. And right now, they're conjuring up new ways to try and censor RCR. To ensure you never miss a beat of the hard-hitting news you've come to know and love, make sure you're on the RCR mailing list. Get connected now at realitycheck.radio forward slash email.